Hey, today on Legalese, we need to talk about red flag laws. Hey, greetings, everybody, and welcome back to Legalese. My name is Bob. I am your host. Thank you so much for being here with me today. And a special welcome to anyone who may be new to the program. Uh, This is a podcast where we're mostly going to be discussing current events in law, politics, and culture. Now, this is going to be a shorter video than usual. Uh, It's like midnight right now, and I'm making it because I just learned that uh, the bipartisan gun control bill that has been, uh, the Senate has been drafting, uh, is apparently complete. They have finished drafting it. And they are planning, it sounds like I'm bringing it up for a vote tomorrow. And what is most troublesome is that we seem to be getting assurances from both sides that they actually have the 60 votes needed to get this passed. Now, obviously, the same legislation will have to pass the House, but the fact is we know they have the votes to get any kind of gun control measure through. And what's more, we all know that creepy Uncle Joe is just ready and eager to sign anything that says gun control anywhere on it. Now, we don't know exactly what will be in the bill yet, and we won't know until tomorrow when it is made publicly available. However, there is one particular aspect that we can be very certain will be in it, and that is a federal red flag law. And this is something that both Republicans and Democrats have been embracing uh, pretty much since the Uvalde shooting. And unfortunately, somehow, when I made my recent series of videos talking about the problems with new gun control measures being proposed, I never actually got around to red flag laws, even though I meant to. That's on me. But um, anyways... There is a a more specific reason that I wanted to make this video, uh, and that more so than the bill is ready and it will likely pass, but the thing is, there is a very important factor when we're talking about red flag laws that needs to be taken into consideration uh, that I I am not hearing anyone talk about, and I'm not surprised that uh, we're not hearing this from media and politicians. I mean, frankly, I would be surprised if they understood that the thing I want to talk about even exists. But what has been interesting is that even uh, other, you know, pro 2A channels who are talking about red flag laws seem to overlook this one very important factor. I think it's very important to get this out because I think this is really what will uh, show that just like the other gun control measures that we have talked about in those other recent videos, a red flag law is really just another solution to a problem that doesn't exist. But before we get to that part, uh, I think uh, it it would probably be a good idea to uh, briefly describe for anyone who may be unfamiliar or could use a reminder of what red flag laws are and what we can specifically expect from this upcoming legislation. And even though we don't have the bill, we at least know more or less what this part of it will say because uh, we have been told that it is essentially a carbon copy of a 2019 bill uh, that was introduced in the House. 
by that walking sack full of wet, used, stinking douchebags, Jerry Nadler. The guy who uh, very recently made it very clear in exchange with my favorite uh, sitting congressman, Thomas Massey. And no one tell Rand Paul I said that. I don't want to hurt his feelings. But Jerry Nadler said in no uncertain terms that he is in favor of giving 18-year-old kids assault weapons specifically so they can go out and commit mass murder as long as Jerry Nadler is the one who is telling them who they are allowed to mass murder. Now, if you don't believe me, stick around until the end of the video, and I will include that clip. But before we get to that, we do have to talk about red flag laws, what they are, and why so many Republicans are just as keen to rob us of this natural right through this law. Now, the House of Representatives has already made it clear that they plan to uh, vote on a bill that would authorize this kind of federal red flag law. And these would prohibit people from possessing firearms when they are deemed a threat to themselves or others. Meanwhile, legislation encouraging states to pass and enforce their own red flag laws has also emerged as a possible compromise between the Senate Democrats, who want a lot of gun restrictions, and Senate Republicans who only want to take away a little bit of your rights, relatively speaking. Now, on one level, it's not hard to understand the bipartisan appeal of this policy when we look at it on a very superficial level, the way any politician is going to look at it. And this is because what it does is it promises to target dangerous individuals rather than imposing broad limits that will affect millions of law-abiding Americans. But there are two basic problems with red flag laws that cannot be wished away through any kind of consensus building and rhetoric. First one is predicting violence is much harder than advocates of this approach are ever willing to admit. And secondly, is trying to overcome the challenge by erring on the side of issuing red flag orders inevitably means that many innocent people are going to lose their Second Amendment rights, typically for a year, sometimes longer, even though these would be people who never would have used a gun to harm anyone. In short, minimizing false negatives means maximizing false positives. Now, the false negative problem is illustrated by the May 14th attack that killed 10 people in the Buffalo supermarket. Now, the shooter was reported to state police last June when he was a high school senior because he had mentioned murder in a written response to a question about his post-graduation plans. Uh, he, however, seemed to manage to pass this off as a very sick joke, uh, and a psychiatric evaluation concluded that he did not meet the criteria for an involuntary treatment. 
Now, police could have still sought a court order barring him from buying guns, but they were evidently satisfied with his explanation, partially because he had not identified a target or described a specific plan. Now, it may yet turn out that a more thorough investigation would have turned up additional evidence suggesting that this teenager was indeed a threat, although fellow students who knew him for years uh, seemed to view him as, you know, certainly odd and reclusive, but not really so much dangerous. And in retrospect, it, it of course probably seems obvious that police should have invoked New York's red flag laws in this case, but that does not necessarily mean that their decision was reckless given the best information they had at the time. Now, in response to the Buffalo Massacre, uh, New York Governor Kathy Hochul uh, urged legislators to pass a bill that would require police and prosecutors to seek a red flag order when they have credible information that an individual is likely to engage in conduct that would result in serious harm to himself, herself, or others. Now, under current law, police officers and prosecutors are authorized, but not required, to seek a temporary ex parte order uh, lasting up to six business days based on probable cause. Now, the standard for a final order, which requires a hearing and will last up to a year, can then later be renewed, uh, but the standard for this hearing uh, is a higher level of clear and convincing evidence. Now, the bill that Hochul supports, uh, which also adds healthcare providers to New York's long list of authorized petitioners, does not change the standards for issuing court orders, but it says police officers or district attorneys would be required to file an application unless they determine that there is no probable cause for such a filing. So you have to prove the person's innocence is what they are saying. And while this would not affect the evidence needed to seek a temporary order, it apparently would require an application for a final order even when the petitioner does not think he has enough evidence to justify one. And in any event, assuming that the state police decided they did have probable cause to support an order against the teenager who would later attack the Buffalo grocery store, the new requirement would not have changed the outcome. Now, in other cases, such as the 2018 massacre we saw at the high school in Parkland, Florida, it seems clear that police either knew or should have known to indicate that a future mass shooter, who was Nicholas Cruz, we now know, uh, uh, sorry, I, I know you're not supposed to use their names, uh, but the shooter posed a serious danger. Now, that attack prompted Florida legislators to pass a red flag law that aimed at encouraging preventative action in such situations. Now, by contrast, it is not clear that a red flag law would have stymied the 18-year-old who managed to 
murdered 19 children and two adults at the elementary school in Uvalde, Texas last week. And the Associated Press reported that, quote, he had no criminal record, no history of mental illness treatment, and no obvious signs he was a danger, end quote. The report goes on to say still, quote, he had frequently skipped class and was not set to graduate, and those who knew him saw increasing signs of isolation, outbursts, and aggression, end quote. Now, a fellow student apparently described him as uh, angry and super odd were their exact words. Uh, the AP story also mentions a series of cryptic social media messages uh, including two apparently random teenage girls, both in Germany and California, uh, in which he uh, included pictures of rifle, ammos, and hints, ammo, excuse me, and hints of a desire to hurt and to kill. Although, from what we know, the most alarming of these messages only came the day of the shooting. Now, other details reinforce the impression that the Uvalde shooter had long been troubled. He was living with his grandmother, with whom he often argued because of his mother's drug problem. Now, one childhood friend of his apparently recalled a time when the shooter had admitted to cutting his own face with a knife just for fun. And the Associated Press notes that the same friend reported that the future killer, quote, would drive around at night egging cars and shooting random people with a BB gun, end quote. Now, in hindsight, all of this, except for the message right before the attack, certainly looks more ominous than it might likely have seen at the time. So here is how the headline for that AP story actually summed up the situation. The headline read, quote, Texas shooter sent warning signs messages, but mostly too late, end quote. Now, in a 2021 uh, essay by the RAND Corporation, specifically researcher Rosanna Smart and Terry Shell, they found that, quote, the rare nature of mass shootings create challenges for accurately identifying salient predictions of risk, and the low base rates of these events also ensure that policies targeting individuals based on risk factors would result in an extremely high rate of false positives, that even the best available risk factors can identify only a subpopulation in which the risk of committing a mass shooting is in the order of one in a million, end quote. And in a 2012 study by the Department of Defense that was commissioned after the 2009 mass shooting in Fort Hood in Texas, uh, really the same point was made in an appendix titled Prediction, Why It Won't Work. And what that appendix went on to say was that while there may be pre-existing behavior markers that are specifiable, those markers are of a low specificity and thus carry the baggage of an, an unavoidable false alarm rate, which limits feasibility of prediction intervention strategies. 
So in other words, even if certain red flags are common among mass shooters, almost none of these people who display these signs are actually bent on murderous violence. And this problem is not limited to police officers and prosecutors who are charged with deciding whether or not to seek a red flag order. Psychiatrists who are supposed to be experts in such things are actually notoriously bad at predicting violence. And in fact, over 30 years of commentary, judicial opinion, and scientific review argue that predictions of danger lack scientific rigor. And that is a quote from a University of Georgia law professor, Alexander Scher, that he noted in a 2003 article he wrote for the Hastings Law Review. He went on to say, quote, Scientific studies indicate that some predictions do little better than chance or lay speculation. And even the best predictions leave substantial room for error about individual cases. The sharpest critique finds that mental health professionals perform no better than chance at predicting violence and often perform even worse. Now, psychiatrist Richard Friedman concurred with that judgment in a 2019 New York Times essay where he said, quote, The notion that we can identify mass killers before they act is, as yet, an epidemiological fiction. These individuals typically avoid contact with mental health care systems. Even if they didn't, experienced psychiatrists fear no better than a roll of the dice at predicting violence. Now, that reality means that even red flag laws with an adequate due process protection are bound to affect many more harmless people than would-be killers. And while the procedures for obtaining orders vary across the 19 states that have some form of red flag law, all of them are rigged against respondents. So data from Florida, for example, indicates that uh, judges routinely rubber stamp applications for temporary orders and are only slightly less likely to issue final orders, which they tend to do about 95% of the time. Now, a conservative commentator, David French, who perceives an urgent need for states to pass and enforce red flag law says a well-drafted red flag law should contain abundant procedural safeguards, including imposing a burden of proof on the petitioner, hearing requirements, and a default expiration date unless the order is renewed through a clear showing of continued need, end quote. Now, French might be commended to some degree for uh, trying to include additional safeguards, at least in his own mind, but based on the ones he mentioned, nearly every existing red flag law would pass muster. Other details are important in striking a balance between these false negatives and false positives. Now, in a bill that would have authorized red flag orders, 
which Representative Lucy McBath, a Democrat from Georgia, introduced in April of 2021, is actually pretty good in some respects. Um, like New York's law, it requires probable cause for a temporary order, but unlike the New York law, it requires evidence suggesting an, quote, imminent, unquote, risk, which you might think would be a basic requirement for an order issued without a hearing based on a supposed emergency. But for a final order, McBath's bill, just like the New York law, requires clear and convincing evidence, which is a stricter standard than the preponderance of the evidence. And it is merely a preponderance of the evidence that suffices in five states and the District of Columbia. Now, the bill that was written by uh, McBath limited the initial length of the final order to six months, which is compared to the year which is typically allowed by state laws, although the order can be extended after another hearing. Now, the bill also says that if the respondent is financially unable to obtain representation by counsel, the court, at the request of the respondent, shall ensure the extent practicable that the respondent is represented by an attorney for the Legal Services Corporation with respect to the petition. Now, of course, this really depends a great deal on the definition of financially unable and practicable that could be a significant safeguard. Now, because under most red flag laws, respondents have to pay for their own legal representation, which is both expensive and is very crucial in navigating such a complicated and daunting and still fairly new legal process. Now, on the downside, McBath's bill, like the New York law, allows a long list of people to file petitions which increase the risk of abuse, and it does not include a civil remedy for petitioners who lie. When it comes to approving a final order, the proposition to be proven by clear and convincing evidence is that the respondent, quote, poses a risk of personal injury to himself or others during that period to be covered, end quote. Now, as is gen generally true, of red flag laws, the bill does not specify what level of, quote, risk is sufficient, which means that a respondent who is highly unlikely to harm himself or anyone else could still find themselves losing their Second Amendment right for six months or more. Now, I guess to its credit, on the whole, however, McBath's bill does a better job of protecting respondents from unfounded or malicious allegations uh, than the 2019 House bill. Uh, this was the one that was offered by Jerry Nadler, and this is the bill that we are told uh, has been essentially carbon copied for our new red flag law. So it is that bill that uh, offers grants to encourage the passage and enforcement of red flag laws 
and under that bill's minimum standards, an imminent risk would not be necessary for an ex parte order, which could last up to a month, and final orders could be issued based on a mere preponderance of the evidence, indicating an unspecified degree of danger, and those orders could last indefinitely. And House Judiciary Committee Chairman Jerry Nadler, who introduced that 2019 bill, as I said, seemed to have crafted it so all the jurisdictions that already had red flag laws could qualify for grants. The bill thus would have lowered the bar to the level of the jurisdiction to his weaker due process protection of a mere preponderance of the evidence. And if the negotiations between the Democrats and Republicans in the Senate actually produced a red flag bill, it is, as I said, likely to be much more broadly similar to Nadler's bill, offering financial incentives to states to pass such laws. But to attract support from the 10 Republicans who will be needed to overcome uh, a filibuster, you might think that bill would have to include stronger due process protections when there are stronger protections available that are still incredibly, they're not reasonable objectively, but compared to the bill we have, they are more reasonable than that, let's say. But that doesn't seem to be the way that this bill is going to go. Now, Lindsey Graham, just the worst person ever, uh, Lindsey Graham, a uh, Republican uh, from South Carolina, uh, he is the one who is leading these bipartisan negotiations over a red flag bill. And the fact is, he really doesn't seem interested in protecting at all the rights of gun owners who might like likely be mistakenly identified as dangerous. And a few years ago, Graham actually likened red flag orders to judicial procedures every day in America where someone is adjudged to be a danger to themselves and others, and they are put into a mental health facility. Now, when he said that, he either did not understand or was entirely unwilling to acknowledge that the standard for an involuntary psychiatric treatment are substantially stricter than the standard for taking away people's gun rights under these red flag laws. Graham also averred that, quote, nobody's going to lose their gun unless they have their day in court, end quote. But that is clearly not true, since temporary orders bar people from possessing guns without giving them a chance to rebut the allegations against them. And the maximum length for those ex parte orders range anywhere from two days to three weeks, and we find that most often 14 days is a common limit that is used. Now, a I hate to say well-drafted red flag law, but because they're all awful, but among the different options that are out there, one of the more reasonable, more well-drafted ones would be something like what 
uh, Macbeth had written or what David French had favored, presumably would not allow delays in giving the respondents their day in court. Now, although supporters of red flag laws tend to glide over these details, they can make a decisive difference for the respondents wrongly portrayed as threats. Now, Graham went on to dismiss critics of red flag laws as libertarians, as though that's an insult, saying, quote, the Second Amendment is not a suicide pact, end quote. And that is the sort of thing the politicians say when they find your constitutional rights inconvenient. All right, so now we get to the main point of my video here today. This is the thing that I wanted to talk with you about that I haven't heard anyone else bring up. Now, what you would never know from the media coverage that we are getting about this is that the federal government and every state already have laws on the books that deal with people who are a danger to themselves or others. Now, these laws are commonly known as Baker Act statutes, though they do go by different names in different states. Now, these typically allow police, doctors, and family members to have someone held for a mental health examination based upon a simple reasonableness test, effectively amounting to an educated guess. Now, these laws focus on mental illness and they require that mental health care experts evaluate the individual. If the person can't afford a lawyer, a public defender is provided, while judges can choose to involuntarily commit individuals who they believe are dangerous to themselves or to others, there is a broad range of other, less extreme options that include monitoring or mandatory mental care. But despite the existence of these Baker Act statutes, 17 states have already, nonetheless, chosen to adopt red flag laws anyway. And in fact, 13 of them have been adopted since 2018 when we had the Parkland, Florida high school shooting. Now, while red flag laws are discussed as mental health measures and are often promoted to prevent suicide, only one state's red flag law even explicitly mentions mental illness. And not a single one of those 17 states require a mental health expert be involved in evaluating the person. The only option given to judges is to take away a person's guns. That's it. That's their only choice. Now, when people pose a clear danger to themselves or to others, I think we can all agree that it is reasonable for them to be confined to a mental health facility. If someone is really suicidal, simply taking away his guns isn't going to solve the problem anyway. Really, if anything, red flag laws harm 
people who need genuine help. Absent such laws, a person contemplating suicide might try to speak to a friend or family member and be more likely to be dissuaded from taking a tragic course of action. Now, the fact is, when faced with legal bills that can easily amount to $10,000 for a hearing, few people will find that it makes sense to fight red flag laws just to keep their guns. Judges will thus initially confiscate a person's guns on the basis of a written complaint and mere reasonable suspicion. And when the hearing takes place, Weeks later, courts overturn a third of those initial orders. But since few defendants have legal representation, the actual error rate is undoubtedly got to be much, much higher. And I think it's fair to say that with these laws in place, individuals will be much more likely to fear that confiding in someone will result in a report to the authorities, possibly lending to the loss of their ability to defend themselves or their loved ones. All right, well, that is really all I got for you guys today. Uh, if you want to stick around till the end, I will throw that clip of Jerry Nadler in at the end. Uh, before that, let me remind you guys of a couple things here. So tomorrow is going to be a very busy day for me and uh, possibly a very important day for you if you are into a lot of the same things that I am that I talk about here. Um, now, I will be, of course, getting my mitts on a copy of this gun control bill so that I can go through it all and to put out a video for you guys as soon as possible about exactly what this bill will and will not do. So be looking out for that. Plus, plus tomorrow, the Supreme Court will be issuing several of their opinions uh, of the many cases that they still have left from this term. Now, as I talked about last time, they have less than a month to go, and they have m more than 30 cases left to uh, give their final opinion on. And so, since we know cases are coming down the pipe tomorrow, it is certainly very, very possible that we will be getting the court's opinion tomorrow on some of those ones that we have been most anxiously waiting for, really ever since they were first argued in front of the court back in November and December. Now, this, of course, includes the Second Amendment carry case, New York State Rifle and Pistol Association v. Bruin, and the abortion case, Dobbs v. Whole Women's Health. Now, if any of those kinds of landmark cases come out tomorrow, uh, this will be, first and foremost, the thing that I will be taking care of and you can bet I will be reading through those and I will be uh, putting out videos letting you guys know everything there is to know about these legal opinions. So be looking out for that. And uh, if I have time, I have an episode that I wrote recently uh, talking about why uh, those who uh, understand the inner workings of the Supreme Court are very confident that uh, the Bruin case is going to be written by Clarence Thomas. Now, this is a very, very, very good sign. Very good.
Now, as I have talked about in past episodes, Thomas is the guy on the court who is really fighting to get new cases that will allow the court to add to its Second Amendment jurisprudence, of which we have had nothing significant since McDonald back in 2010. Now, it's, it's no secret that someone like myself, um, that I put the future protection of my natural rights in my hands alone, frankly. And I am especially not keen to rely on a panel of judges to protect my rights, even judges who are friends to the Second Amendment. But when that judge is Clarence Thomas and the right being protected is the Second Amendment, I actually have quite a bit bit of uh, faith and optimism that our right to keep and bear arms will be much stronger after the opinion comes out than it was before. So, I don't know, maybe if I don't have time to make that video talking about the uh, Supreme Court sort of inside baseball of how we can identify who is going to write the opinion, how I am so confident about this, uh, that I could... I'm just kind of just thinking of this right now, but possibly I could uh, just post what I wrote as a script and rewrite it slightly and put it up as an article on my Substack page. So I don't know if that's something that you guys would be interested uh, in reading. If you would, let me know down in the comments uh, that you would be interested in seeing that, and I would be happy to uh, take some time and uh, put that out as an article for you guys if you would want it. Now, needless to say, I am going to be a very busy boy in the coming days churning out new content that I hope will be very helpful for all of you to stay up to date with all of the most important information and latest developments in all matters of constitutional law. So, subscribe to the channel. Make sure you always know when new content is coming out. Uh, let me know what you thought of the video by hitting that little thumbsy uppy button down there or... Uh, if you want, you can hit the thumbsy downy button, but that would make you a jerk, so your call, your move. <laughs> Anyways, um, so keeping in mind that the more likes, the more comments, and the more subscriptions I get, the more YouTube knows to recommend my channel to other people who aren't watching it. So if you guys can take a second to do that, it really would mean a lot to me and would really help me out a lot, uh... So if you can do that, I would be very grateful. So I don't know what I'll be talking about tomorrow, but you can guarantee that you will be hearing from me tomorrow at least once and probably several times. So uh, I guess until tomorrow, this has been me, Bob, for Legalese, talking about red flag laws. And of course, as always, Cartago de Lenda Est. We recognize different ages for different purposes. We recognize 18 for the draft. We recognize uh, 16 for driving in some states. We recognize uh, uh, 21 for drinking. Um, so we recognize different ages for different purposes. That's, that's all I want to say. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Could I have a second to engage that? Certainly. Would, I'll would, yield to the gentleman from Kentucky. Would, would the chairman join me in co-sponsoring a bill to raise the draft age to 21? No. And, but the chairman feels that their brains aren't fully formed at 18, 19, and 20. The, 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 the research does indicate that in certain respects, but the selective service uh, needs, I mean, if, if, 
If the country needs people, it needs people. It needs people whose brains aren't fully formed? In certain respects, yes. Oh, so you can't have a fully formed brain in order to go fight one of the neocon wars. Go fight Vladimir Putin. But you need to have a fully formed brain to defend yourself in your own country. So that was Thomas Massey, one of the very few Republicans who's actually thinking through why this is bad for the country and defending your constitutional rights.